Names are important. My full name is Rodney. Rodney is a name of German origin, meaning Rhoda's Island, and island near the clearing. The name Rodney may conjure images of breathtaking beaches, gold sand, and crystal clear water. I guess that sounds nice and explains why my natural habitat is water. You should see how agile I am when I swim, like a manatee. Today we're going to look at Exodus 31, verses 1 to 11. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, and ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Ohiliab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments for his sons, for their service as priests and the anointing oil of the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Now let's take a look at these individuals and specifically their names. You see in Jewish writings and tradition, names and their meanings are significant. Sometimes biblical names signify purpose, some are symbolic. Some names depict traits and others show honor to God. In Jewish tradition, a child's name was revealed in the same ceremony in which they were circumcised for the boys, eight days after they were born, a sign of the covenant found in Genesis 17. Here are some examples of prominent Jewish names. Abraham, father of many. David, beloved. Miriam, wishing for a child. Ruth, friend. Let's look at the names in Exodus 31. Bezalel means in the shadow or protection of God. I love this theme in the Old Testament of being under the protection or shadow of God. It comes through in the Psalms in these verses. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for you, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. All these psalms were written by David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Think about this with me. When we are outside and in a desert, what do we look for? Shade, protection, shelter. For those of us without hair, the search for this shade is especially important. As the sun beats down on my very skull, often I look for shade. What is Bezalel being tasked with? To literally build a shelter in a desert. And not just any shelter. 
one which will be a, a sacred place for the Lord and a place for the shadow of the Lord to provide protection. Let's check out the next name we see. Yuri means my light, my flame, or illumination. Quite a contrast. We don't read names in the Old Testament in this intentional way too often. Bezalel is in the shadow of God, the son of light. But there's more. Aholiab means father's tent. Okay, that's obvious. They're building a tent. Ahissamach means brother of support. So what we see here is that the assistant is supportive. Well, obviously. But without knowing what the names mean, we would have just stumbled over the pronunciation and not realized how powerful the Lord's plan and provision is at this moment. But did you catch the most amazing part of the names? Let me read those names again in the text. O Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And behold, I have appointed with him Ohiliab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. Did you see it? Don't worry, I didn't either until I dove deeper into these families. You see, Judah was regarded as the greatest tribe in Israel, and Dan was thought of as the lowest of tribes. The Lord demonstrated his provision through the Holy Spirit to the greatest and the least, and they represented equality and inclusion for all. The Lord's provision for the Israelites didn't end there. As about 300 years later, someone else from the tribe of Dan built Solomon's temple. But that message is for another time. Let's look at the bigger picture of what has been happening with Moses and his interaction with the Lord. Open up your Bibles and skim backwards. See the language that is being used? Previously in Exodus, the communication from the Lord to Moses has been directive in what Moses should do. And it started with phrases like, you shall take, and you shall do, and you shall make. Notice the change in the Lord's message to see, I have called. There's a switch in the narrative from Moses having to do things to God doing things. I'm no craftsman. And I remember when I was a young boy, I used to use, want to use a hammer and to pound a nail into wood. I don't know why, kids just have to do that. I remember it being really hard trying to hit the head of a nail with a heavy hammer, using two hands, barely tapping the nail. And when things progressed, the nail wasn't going straight. It was very frustrating. And though I was determined, I knew I couldn't do it alone or without help. Then I was blown away when my dad took the hammer and I was assigned to just hold the wood. I probably, probably wasn't really doing anything, but I was a part of the process. He hit the nail with a solid whack to get it started and sunk the nail into the wood straight. And then something incredible happened. My dad hit the hit nail of a second time with a colossal hit. He sunk the nail home into the wood. To five-year-old me, that was like the most powerful, powerful thing I had ever seen. My dad was a hammer-swinging superhero. Moses must have been experiencing something similar. The Lord was giving him directions on things to build, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, and items for it like the table for bread, the golden lampstand, the bronze altar, 
decorations for the temple, the priest's garments, and all that accompanied their activities. In our Bibles, we've been reading about these things for six chapters. This must have felt, must have felt like a monumental and significant task. His hands on the figurative hammer he was holding must have been shaking. And if I was Moses, I would have been so uncertain about how to pull all this off. Yes, Moses had seen a lot to get him to this point. Slavery, escape from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the water in the desert, the manna, the quail, and on and on. But with all that experience, I'm sure there must have been a sense of uncertainty about how he was going to pull all of that off. How different are we? We can look back in our lives and see all that the Lord has done to bring us to this moment. No matter our age or life experience, when faced with an uncertain future, however, stepping into the unknown or doing something challenging, we all wonder, how? But then we get to chapter 31, and the Lord says, see. The Lord acts and sets in motion the activities to, to fulfill all that he commanded. The Lord swung his hammer. And what does the Lord do with this mighty swing? I have called by name Bezalel. Could you imagine what that would have been like for that man? I suggest that you know. Spoiler alert, for those that believe in Jesus, we have been blessed with the same Spirit of God. And I know that you have experienced this same call. Let me tell you about one of the times in my life when I experienced this. I used to work at McDonald's, and my 21-year career culminated in owning the stores in Squamish. I've eaten a lot of two-all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. We had just experienced the Vancouver Winter Olympics as my stores were halfway between Vancouver and Whistler. We were living a very busy, active lifestyle in a beautiful place and had more than enough in the eyes of the world. We were involved in a church plant, invested in the schools, and lived 45 minutes from a chairlift. But one day, I was at home praying and contemplating life. I experienced such a strong call from God to move my family to Saskatchewan, sell everything, and coach basketball full-time at Briarcrest College outside of Moose Jaw. My biggest challenge was telling my wife. My accountant thought I was crazy, even though he said, I don't understand why you're doing this, but I respect your faith. That started a challenging journey but the entire time, I literally, literally felt the Holy Spirit guiding, providing, directing our path. My wife is so faithful, my kids were supportive, and God's protection was on us. It wasn't easy, but it is certainly rewarding to look back now and see God, 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 God moments throughout. I couldn't imagine being here with you when I started my faith journey. And I know that things are better when we respond to God's call. I know that each one of us could look back on our lives and see God's handiwork. Look around you and see the Holy Spirit in the lives of people and the call that the Lord has placed on them and you. Think about the context of Exodus 31. This call wasn't given to a prophet, church leader, paid professional clergy. It was given to craftsmen. We are all called, no matter where you find yourself. What is often the first thing people ask when they meet someone for the first time, besides their names, which is often forgotten? 
The question of what you do comes up. The world ascribes value to the name on the company of your pay stub, the school you attend, or how many kids you have. Wherever or whatever you are doing, you are called by God because the Holy Spirit is in you to those that believe. Don't allow yourself to think you are less worthy, have less impact on the kingdom of God, or can't make a difference if you don't do pastoral or missionary work. Jesus used a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, and even a thief to change the world. I hope that encourages you today to be motivated when you find yourself in tough situations, to be empowered when working through challenges, to have perseverance to overcome hurdles, to be confident when questioning your self-worth, to resist confusion about your identity, knowing that God is calling us. I need that reminder, and likely so do you. Exodus 31, in fact, is the first time in Scripture we get to see the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of God's people. Hold on to this point, this significant biblical moment, this transformative God moment. The Lord fills people with his Spirit. God included Moses and his people to complete the build that the Lord laid out for him. And in the Lord's provision, he blessed individuals with the Spirit of God. So what did the Spirit of God do? Filled him with ability, knowledge, intelligence, all craftsmanship. Ability is a fun word, especially when it is associated with the Lord. We often connect it to God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I think it would have been amazing to see Bezalel filled with the Spirit to possess ability. In this instant, it is the Holy Spirit giving ability to man. Just think about what that for a moment, to be infused with God to do something special. Have you experienced this? Said something to someone, then afterward go, where did that come from? Created something that had an impact on someone else, and they said, how did you do that? And you think, I don't know. The Holy Spirit is alive, active, influential, and making a difference right now. Church, let's embrace this special ability. Read about the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture and pursue what God has called you to be able to do through Him. The next verses in Exodus reveal the Lord's appointment of Oholiab, but also the Lord appoints all able men to have ability. The able get ability. The Lord's provision is at work. Intelligence and knowledge are pretty common skills that we often ascribe to people these days. We have scholarship awards in higher education. We have access to a ridiculous amount of information in our pockets. And we look to others for advice in a lot of different arenas. But much of these things are accumulated over years of experience or databases that we access. Let's not overlook that they were building the tabernacle for the first time, just traveled for a significant distance, and were doing all these things by hand. The Wi-Fi and Amazon delivery would have been awful in the desert. Think about this for a moment. The Holy Spirit blessed Bezalel with intelligence and knowledge. The building of the tabernacle was a significant project, and he needed help mentally. I really like how the Lord blessed Bezalel with all craftsmanship. So not only did the Lord bless their heads, he blessed their hands. 
There's something beautifully practical about this and something we often overlook when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I often just think about it when the think about the Holy Spirit as doing something with my inner thoughts, my mind, my heart, my emotions, my words. But we see right from the beginning, the Lord is interested in our hands too. Shake my hand sometime and you'll feel this big, meaty and soft hand. I work at a desk. I love shaking hands with those of you who work with lumber, stone, hammers. God is using your hands. The Holy Spirit isn't just about our head and heart. He's about our hands. So the people of God now had a place to worship, sacrifice, and hear from God. A place where, not since the Garden of Eden, that God would dwell with humanity. It was a place at the center of life for the Jews. How often do we look back on the Old Testament as one who knows how the story plays out, but miss the beauty, the nuance, the provision of the Lord in it all? I would like to take a leap forward in Scripture to another Holy Spirit moment, a part of our Bible that we know and often miss what's happening in the text. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 5, says this, And he said to them, this is Jesus, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The Lord is now the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his because he is a friend, yet because his impudence he will rise and give you whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you is, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Put into context, this is Jesus in a teaching moment with his disciples. Jesus was in fact praying in what Luke calls a certain place. Wouldn't you love to know where that place was? When he finished praying, one of his disciples asked, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Then within the same conversation, we get this parable, one of the most quoted verses and an amazing promise. The parable is Jesus telling a rhetorical illustration of a nocturnal disturbance from a friend. I'm sure we can all relate, either as the friend asking for help or the one delivering the nighttime bread to the per persistent friend. Some of you are always prepared with lots of food on hand. How many of you have more than one freezer at home? Then there are others of us who don't like to plan too far ahead. The point of the parable is that no matter the situation, friends will take care of each other. This sets up a very popular verse that is sometimes taken out of context. The popular verse 9, which is spoken to Jesus' disciples, is wedged between, between a friend in need and a father's provision for his children. Luke 11:13 culminates in the promise from Jesus that the Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask 
exclamation point. I know that the original Greek uh, in that language, there's no exclamation points, but this one at the end of verse 11 is pretty cool. Ask, seek, knock, and the friend, the Father, who is the Lord, will bless you with the Holy Spirit. What's the most interesting about Luke 11 is that Jesus was still on earth, hadn't yet paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Jesus' words are a promise, a foreshadowing of what was to come, another narrative in the great story of the Lord's provision. Jumping ahead again, the story of the Holy Spirit continues in Acts chapter 2. But first, let's take a peek at Acts 1. Jesus spent 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God after his resurrection. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and ascended to heaven. It's amazing how quickly we blast through those verses sometimes. Just pause for a moment and contemplate what is happening in the text. Jesus, who is dead in the grave for three days, is alive and teaching for 40 days. It shouldn't be lost on us that after Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, that he spent 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus promises the apostles the gift of the same Holy Spirit. Exclamation point. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on, on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, in the Jewish clock, that's 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood 
before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Skipping down to verse 37. Now when the, they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This week, our staff brainstormed a list of characteristics and things the Holy Spirit does. Things like helper, teacher, convicts of sin, source of revelation, wisdom, power, guide, shepherd, gift giver, seals believers, interceder, grants eternal life, and so much more. We would be lost without the Holy Spirit. Today, May 28, 2023, is Pentecost Sunday. This tradition began as a Jewish celebration of the first fruits of the early harvest. The Jews called this the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. According to Jewish law, it was a pilgrimage festival where all the Jewish people from wherever they were living gathered in Jerusalem. This explains the scene in Jerusalem and why there were people from many different nations as they gathered to celebrate. The streets would have been packed. What they witnessed was more amazing than any other year that they had celebrated. Side note, isn't God's timing amazing? In that he orchestrated a large gathering of people from different places and languages to witness something special. Not a coincidence, but a call. This tradition of Pentecost is observed on the seventh Sunday after Easter. So here we are. We shouldn't ignore Pentecost or take it lightly or think that this is just a Jewish holiday that doesn't apply to us. Pentecost is a moment in history after Christ ascended when we would gain access to the promised comforter to receive gifts and empowerment of the Spirit of God. This was the moment in church history when the little sect of believers who followed a Jewish rabbi from Nazareth, who died and rose again, broke forth across cultures and became the unstoppable force that we have the privilege to be a part of today in this moment. Acts 2 verse 39 says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who calls whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Answer the call. Let me remind you, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Maybe you're discovering these truths for the first time, or maybe this was a reminder for you. We are all experiencing a need for the Holy Spirit. We need his ability, his intelligence, his knowledge, his craftsmanship. Ask, seek, knock, answer the call today. Jesus is calling your name. Don't walk away without responding. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray for those right now that are questioning whether or not they believe or whether or not they should be doing something that they're being called to do. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to answer the call that you've given, that you would help us all to ask, seek, knock, and receive from you the Holy Spirit. Amen.